Good morning, everyone. I think I said it to almost everyone already, and David said it to almost everyone already, but say it again. Happy Mother's Day to you mothers. Uh, thank you for serving your children. Uh, this morning we are in John chapter 6, and we're going to do the whole thing, 71 verses in John chapter 6, so buckle up. You might want to send somebody a text, say you're going to be a little late to uh, lunch. It's not true. <laughs> um, and it, by the way, it's rude if you text while I'm preaching, by the way. Not, <laughs> that's not true either. In fact, I'll probably text today while I'm preaching. <laughs> okay, seriously, we have a lot to do. I don't need to be silly. Um, this morning is, there, there's a lot here, and, and a lot of times we, we want to separate the miracles that Jesus is going to do with the teaching that he does behind it. But the point of the miracle is the teaching that comes behind it. So we, in order to, to fully engage what Jesus has for us in John chapter 6, we need to see the whole thing together. Uh, and so that's why we're going we're gonna to deal with, uh, there's actually two miracles that, that he'll talk about. One is a little longer than the other, but the other is nonetheless a miracle. And then he begins to, to teach both his disciples. And when I say disciples, it, it's kind of two groups there. His, his 12 disciples, and then other disciples are people that were just following him that aren't really named in the Bible. Uh, and then he's also he's teaching those two groups of people, but he's also teaching just uh, some religious leaders and some people that, that are just generically following him. And that's the, sort of the, the context where we find ourselves this morning. Uh, but before we get there, since it is such a long passage we're going to read, I want to bring to you, I think, the four things that Jesus is trying to communicate to us thousands of years later through these teachings. So instead of kind of looking at each one of these in particular, let's, let's see them now. And then we'll point them out as we walk through each one of the passages. So there, there's four things. First, this story and these miracles are not about these events. They're about Jesus. A lot of times when we engage a miracle of Jesus, we think, wow, that's really cool. 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Wow. But it's, that's not the point at all. It's not the point at all. And, and I want us to be sure of that. And... The thing that we can draw from that is what happens in our life is not about the circumstance. It's about Jesus. Everything that's happened to you from the moment you took your first breath before that until now, everything that's here is, is about Jesus and what we do with him. The second thing that I want us to see as we see these 71 verses is the answer to every longing of the human condition is found in Jesus. Let me say that again because, like, there's, there's probably nothing more important that you will hear in your life than this and the, the ramifications of this statement. There's nothing, no human longing, no desire that's ever materialized itself inside of your being. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, nothing that you've ever desired to have or hold or want doesn't find its answer in Jesus. Everything finds its answer in Jesus. 
everything. And I, I feel free to like check out for five minutes and think about that and chase down stuff. Longings that you've had. They're found, the answer to those is found in Jesus. The third thing I want us to see this, week, this morning is Jesus is not a prisoner to circumstance. We're going to see a whole bunch of people, and they're all really hungry. Jesus is not a prisoner to that circumstance. He's in control of that circumstance. We're going to see the disciples out on a boat in a storm, and Jesus is going to want to get to them. The water that's between him and, and the boat, is, Jesus is not a prisoner of that. He's Lord of that. There's not a circumstance that you're walking through or will walk through or have walked through that Jesus is a prisoner to. He's never, ever going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? He is in control of that circumstance. Always. Always, always, always. And when we see miracles, we have to see that, that Jesus is in complete control of that circumstance. And then the last thing, circumstances are tools he uses to point you to his fill-in-the-blank. Circumstances are tools that he uses to point you to his love, his hope, his peace, his joy, his fulfillment, his, himself, and lastly, his kingdom. And that's the one I want to kind of major on. You've, you've maybe heard about this idea of kingdom before. Ultimately, when you hear a preacher use the word kingdom, as in the kingdom of God, when you hear the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, this is what he's talking about. It's perfection, it's it's perfect shalom, perfect peace, perfect relationship, the way we were designed to live. Before sin affected us, and before us affected sin, before the world affected us and us affected the world, before my brokenness and your brokenness rubbed up against each other and caused more brokenness in this world, before all of that brokenness happened, the kingdom was. God is using circumstances to remind us of the kingdom that is to come. That he's not bound or a prisoner of circumstance. He is in control. In his kingdom, he's establishing it in your heart and in this world. And circumstances are tools that he uses to do that. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's terrible. Today, we get to celebrate our mothers. And some of us have had great mothers. Some of us have had bad mothers. Those of us who have had great mothers have probably had mothers who have done really bad things to us. Some of us who have had generally bad mothers have had mothers that have done great things to us. All of those things together are working towards to point our eyes to Jesus. These are people that I've given to you to protect you, to serve you, to honor you, to protect you, to, to give to you, to nurture you. These are what mothers are, and they fail there, but I don't. It's what Jesus says to you. Go say that to your mom today. God uses circumstances to get our eyes off of here and now and the present circumstance, the tyranny of the moment. We will go through this next week, a prisoner to the tyranny of a, of a moment. Oh my gosh, if this doesn't happen, I don't, I just, I, and we get freaked out. But Jesus is in control of all of it. And that's the point of these two miracles that we see today. And the idea that we'll see is that God is pointing us to him. So let's pray quickly and dive into these passages, and we're going to go quickly through them. God, I thank you for this morning. I pray that you would guide our, our minds as we seek to think 
and find you, Father. God, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you for your apostle, John, who wrote these things down, that we might see your son, Jesus, see him rightly as the Christ, the Savior of the world. God, I pray that you would focus in our minds, free us from distraction, and see your son, Jesus, and then we might believe in him in such a way that our lives are changed and our activity has changed and our behavior has changed because we have beheld the Savior of the world. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So, John chapter 6, verse 1. And I'm going to, this miracle, I'm gonna, not going to spend a lot of time with because to, to spend a lot of time with the miracle itself is to give it too much credence because Jesus just wants us to see it and then hear what he's got to say about it. Although it is really astounding. But it is just a circumstance designed to get our attention to him. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. I want you to see that for just a second. The reason people are following him is because Jesus has done things that are, is really cool. Not because he's the savior of the world. They're following him because he's done things that are really cool. And I want you to, to hear me. This is really important because this may convict us, and it probably should. Why do you follow Jesus? Because of what he can give to you or because of who he is? If you're paying attention, I just poked you in the eye with a stick. Verse 3. And that Jesus is at war with that idea. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. The reason that that's there is just to tell us that there was a really large crowd. A lot of people are, it's, it's your religious censors are up in this area because of this holiday. Uh, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. In other words, he is not a prisoner of this circumstance. There's never been a circumstance in your life where he was a prisoner of that circumstance. Philip fails in his answer. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. He sort of gets it. He knows that Jesus can do, he's not a prisoner this moment. Maybe he can do something with this little boy's lunch. Andrew starts to get it. But what are they for so many? Andrew is also a prisoner of this circumstance, this moment. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. See, men, 5,000 in number. So there's women and children as well, probably between ten and 15,000 people. That's a lot of people. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when the disciples had eaten, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, 
This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I want to stop. This has been a really incredible thing that just happened. Literally just happened. It's unbelievable what just happened. And the response is probably appropriate. What you and I would probably respond with. Wow, this is, this is the prophet that's coming to the world. Let's make him our king. But Jesus in a bit is going to expose their motives for wanting to make him king. And probably expose our motives for wanting to make him king. So he withdraws. They don't understand. So Jesus withdraws and goes away by himself. Verse 16, here comes the second miracle. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rode about three or four miles, it's a long way, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. All right, stop looking at your Bible. Stop looking at whatever. Look up here. This is massive. This is beauty. In their distress, in their tyranny of the moment, Jesus is nowhere for them to find And Jesus says to them, he comes to them miraculously, and he says, it is I, don't be afraid. In your circumstance, in your hardship, in your difficulty, Jesus is is miraculously coming to you, and he speaks to you, it is I, don't be afraid. Write that someplace where you won't forget it. Put it on a sticky note on your steering wheel. Write it on dry erase marker in your shower. Jesus says to you, it is I, don't be afraid. I think about Danielle, the lady that Dave spoke about who died, when was it, last week? Her husband, a pastor, beautifully poetic words he's written in the last week. And all of them shouting this. Jesus. In the middle of that. Here's the thing. As I've read his words and what he said, I'm I'm heartbroken for the pain that he has to feel. I am heartbroken for the pain that he has to feel. But when you read him and what he has to say, he is not heartbroken by the pain that he feels. He's astounded by his Jesus. Because Jesus has come to him miraculously and said, it is I, don't be afraid. Whatever the circumstances in your life, even if it means taking your bride away, Jesus comes to you miraculously and says, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. Wherever you are, whatever the circumstances you have, great or bad or somewhere in between, Jesus is speaking, Jesus is speaking to you, it is I, do not be afraid. He's walking on the water, people, to come to you and say this. What are we afraid of? What are you afraid of? 
If you're taking notes, write it down. What am I afraid of? And think about that. Write some things down that you are afraid of. Jesus wants to speak to you. Don't be afraid of that. I. Like the answer to that fear is Jesus. Every longing that you have ever had, the answer is Jesus. Verse 21. Here's the proper response to Jesus coming to you and saying, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Like that's like I'm getting chuckles and it's silly, but it's 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 poetic. When our circumstances press in on us and Jesus comes to us and says, it is I, do not be afraid. How many times do we say to ourselves, oh, he's glad to take him into my boat. Comma. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. We miss that miracle a lot. They're in the middle of the sea. Jesus walks out to them. Now they're on land. What? The point is, the circumstance is gone. Jesus. Like, I feel like all I'm saying here, like, for the rest of, all I've said and all I'll say the rest of the time is just, Jesus. 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 Every page of this book Jesus. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Little logical problem solving by these people. But that the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into their boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. You're seeking me because I met a need in you. Verse 27, very familiar verse, very important verse. Another one to write and dry erase on your shower door. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. There is, like, so much that's in this verse. Don't labor for food that spoils what stresses you out chances are it's something that will wind up being dust in a thousand years it will be dust don't labor for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life it's mother's day we celebrate our moms because we celebrate our moms and Hallmark tells us to. But beyond that, 
I'm, I'm now a dad and I'm married to a mom. And so it's Mother's Day is different. Because it's, it's celebrating our moms because of what they want to give to us. They want to impart love and joy and hope into their children. They want to impart a better future. They want to impart legacy to their children. They want to work for food that endures. Because they understand that one day they're going to be gone. Or one day that child is going to leave the house. One day that child is going to be an adult and go and make decisions. So they're investing in them today. And this idea is what's here. Don't work for food that spoils, but food that endures. And Jesus has just manipulated all of these circumstances. Do we, do we see that? This circumstance that Jesus was faced with wasn't a surprise to him. So it's not just the miracle that he's using to teach, but he creates the circumstance by which he can do this miracle. So he can start talking about food. Everything is under his control. Do we, do we understand all of that? Jesus didn't think, oh man, I've got this situation with all these hungry people. I know what I can do. No, he created all of it so that he might teach here what he's teaching now. Verse 28. Then they said to him, remember these are just random people that are following him. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Like that's a, that's a question that I, I, answer, I ask myself a lot. And people ask me for themselves a lot. And you probably ask yourself a lot. What do I need to do to be doing the works of God? What am I supposed to do with my life? So the, verse 29 is really important. Because you're going to ask yourself that question. Ask me that question. Ask another spiritual guider this question. Jesus' answer is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God is to believe Jesus. Again, Jesus, 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 Jesus. The answer to the question, what do I do, is Jesus. And we studied this word last week, the word believes, and it is pistueo. Cooper, hit that slide. Believes is this Greek word, the conviction and trust to which a man is impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and law of soul to trust in Jesus as God. This isn't a simple belief that I know he exists. This is a, a belief that I know he, ex- he exists, and that belief is so profound that it causes me to move and to act and do things differently. This is the call. What does it mean to do the work of God? Believe in Jesus in such a way that it changes who you are. This is believes, and it's going to appear a bunch more as we finish out this chapter. Verse 30. This is utterly absurd, this thing that they say to him now. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Are you kidding? Seriously? Like they started following him to begin with. You remember the first part of chapter 6? They're following him because they had healed the sick. They'd seen miracles happen. And then yesterday, they had just eaten a whole bunch of food that wasn't there. And they were full. 
And they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? I want to stop for a second and, and, and speak into this because, like, that's just stupid, right? But we're there all the time. How many times do we need to see Jesus show up and lay a peace bomb in our hearts before we are encountered like the next time circumstances press on? We still need Jesus to do something else. Here, these people are encountered face-to-face with Jesus and have eaten bread and fish that were not there. And still... They want Jesus to, okay, prove that you're Lord over these circumstances. And Jesus is not flabbergasted here. He's a teacher. So here's the deal. You have permission to be stupid. Praise God, right? That we have permission to be stupid. Because God's miraculousness, his saviorness, his Christness doesn't exhaust. Get back into our story. Our fathers, this is again the people talking to Jesus, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Remember that story, the Israelites, Moses leads them and they're out in the wilderness for 40 years and there's nothing to eat and God sends manna, this bread-like thing, for them to eat and sustain them. And this is marked by the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, forever that when God showed up and met their needs. Which is ridiculous because they want Jesus to show them a sign about giving them food to eat that wasn't there before. Like happened to their dad and it just happened to them yesterday. But here's, here's the thing. Jesus speaks to them, verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Like, the manna was their Savior. Because the manna changed their father's circumstances. Like the little boy with his five loaves of bread and two fish was their savior. Or like the disciples that passed it out was their savior. No. Jesus. The answer to every longing of your heart is Jesus. It was not Moses who gave you the bread. Moses was not your father's savior, nor was the manna. The little boy is not your savior, nor was his lunch, nor was the disciples who passed it out. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes into the world from heaven and gives life to the world. And what he just said was Jesus. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Like, I picture Jesus like he rolled his eyes and slumped his shoulders a lot, especially in this conversation. 
I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. No, that's not what he said. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread. Jesus said to them, Jesus, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Every longing that you've ever had is found, its answer is found in Jesus. That's what he just said to you. Whatever hunger, whatever thirst you have, seek me for it. I'll give it to you. And don't let the stuff that's around you be your God, because I'm in control of that. Even if you let it be your God, there's somebody better than that circumstance. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you did not believe. There's our word again, believe. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. They're prisoners of the moment. They're prisoners of their circumstances. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I want you to breathe that one in a little bit. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I will never cast out. I'm amazed and astounded by those five simple words. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is doing more Ontological trinity, remember the word we learned last week? He and God are one, are the same person, they're the same essence. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. Verse 40 just says Jesus. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him. Seriously. Stupid. But we've got to insert ourselves in there because there's coming a time, probably before June hits on the calendar. Or you're going to grumble about your circumstance. And you're not going to believe that Jesus, that has many times walked across the water, walked across your circumstance and said to you, it is I, do not be afraid. And you're not going to hear him, you're not going to see him. But something is going to change your circumstance. You're going to praise that something as your Savior. So don't roll your eyes at the grumbling Jews without understanding you're rolling your eyes at yourself. And your pastor, by the way. I've been grumbling for a while. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Like, they can trace back to who his parents are. So he has parents. He can't be who he says he's being. But that doesn't make sense what he's done. They're confused. Like, we're always confused about who exactly Jesus is. 
we think we know this, but we, we think we know that, and we're just confused, and this is where they are. So has anybody ever been confused about who Jesus is, who God is, what's happening, what's going on? Okay, you just related with these Jewish people here, and so did I. Verse 43, Jesus answers their grumbling, answers their confusion. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. A lot of confusing stuff to just say God came from, Jesus came from God and Jesus is God, and it's hard to comprehend that. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. I am the thing that sustains you. He taught them they need food to sustain themselves physically, and now Jesus is teaching them spiritually, I am that. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. There was a circumstance that was tyranny to them, and I met that circumstance, but they died. Because the manna that they eat didn't sustain them forever. Whatever the circumstances that gives you stress, it will die, and so will you. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So the manna that we're all seeking to sustain us, to fulfill us, to give us joy, hope, peace, love, the kingdom, God himself, all those things that we seek is found in Jesus. I, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, if anyone feasts on me, seeks me for all of their fulfillment, all of their purpose, all of their longings, anyone who seeks me, they will find that. Their longings will be satisfied. And the bread that I will give them for life is the world of the world is my flesh. Again, they don't understand what Jesus is teaching. The Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're literally saying, how can we eat his skin, his fingers? What is, that doesn't make any sense. Truly, truly, and Jesus meets their objection immediately. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Seek me for your needs to be met, and me alone. And unless you do that, you have no life in you. This is the belief changing that happens by this thorough pisteo belief. Verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Everything else are shadows of me. Whoever eats on my flesh, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I can't wait to take communion in about 10 minutes. And I hope and I pray that that will, as you break of that bread and you dip into the bowl and you put that in your mouth, I, I pray that God would would descend upon you with this is a physical thing that's going to meet a need of hunger in you, but it's a vision, a, a metaphor pointing to me as the sustainer of your life. Circumstances will come and they will go, and I am Lord of them all. I am the one that meets your needs. 
Jesus. Verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so ever who feeds on me, he will also live because this is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogues as he taught at Capernaum. Verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, this is not the 12 disciples, but those that are following him and calling him their teacher, their rabbi, that's what this word disciples means. Many of his disciples heard it. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I, this just doesn't make sense to me. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The flesh is of no avail. Everything that you and I see will become dust. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that those, from the beginning, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's hard. They didn't get it, so they left. So Jesus got with his boys, his 12. Jesus said to the 12 and said, do you want to go away as well? And I pray that this is my response. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. And we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It's the end of the chapter, but let's go back to verses 68 and 69 and end there. This is the perfect response to Jesus. Jesus asked him, Do you want to go away as well? And Peter's response is, Lord, Where would we even go? You have the words to eternal life. You are the Christ. What would we even do? Whatever we went to, you would be Lord of whatever it is that we went to. And we have believed. You have changed who we are. And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, the whole point of the book of John is that we might see Jesus rightly, and that means we would see him as the Holy One of God. And Peter sees him as the Holy One of God. This is the response of Peter. This is the response that I beg of God that I would have and that you would have. 
when we encounter Jesus, we would see him rightly as the Holy One of God, and we would believe him, and our behavior, our lives would change because of who he is. So now at the end of the day, at the end of John 6, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Do you walk away? Or do you say, where would I go to? I believe you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let's pray, and you can talk to God about that. God, guide us as we seek to answer that question. You have shown us your son, Jesus, and before us are two options to walk away or to believe you. God, I pray that you would change our hearts. Please change our hearts, God. By the power of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.